If you have your Bibles this morning, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, and welcome to week 12 of a series on the attributes of God, where we are walking through um, these things that God has revealed um, about Himself to us. And as we said from the beginning, we are able to know God only because God has made Himself known to us. And the point of this series is not for us to look at things that are sometimes true about God, but we are looking at, the, at attributes that are eternally true. They have been true of Him forever and eternity past, and they will be true of Him forever and eternity uh, future. And this morning we come to the fatherhood of God, the fact that God is our Father. And this is kind of a subject that is so important, I think we probably do a message on it at least once a year, and just the... The importance of it cannot be overstated. J.I. Packer has said this, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Which forces us, I believe, to ask, how well do we understand Christianity? Or even better, how well do we know God? What comes to mind when we hear that word, God? What is your concept of your creator? I've talked with people in the past, and people relate to God in many different ways. Some people relate to God like he is a coach. Um, he is encouraging and kind, but also he's on third base doing this. And people are going, I don't know what he's saying. He's trying to, having a hard time with it. I don't get the signs. I'm missing it all. Other people think of God as a teacher. He is teaching. Now, sometimes they hear like the old peanuts thing, wah, 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 wah. And other times it's things that are completely over our heads. But yet God is teaching and we're the student. Others see God as a relentless boss who is never satisfied. Um, that we can't do enough to get any kind of a, a good word from him. And then others see God as a cruel judge who's just waiting to look at us and say, guilty, guilty, get him out of my side. And that's kind of the way we sometimes are tempted to see God. And to speak to such people about God being their father can be risky. And not only does it compute, oftentimes it confuses or even angers them. And the reason, of course, isn't hard for us to understand. We, we get it. The very word Father elicits so many different emotions in all of us. And unfortunately, not all of them are good. Some of those emotions are, are negative and hurtful and painful. And God is aware. Think about this. God knows that many of us struggle to trust him or to even see him as a good father because of the wounds of our past trust that haven't healed yet. And God knows that. I think of this in, in his book, Passion for Jesus, Mike Bickle describes five different kinds of earthly fathers who may have warped our view of God as a good and gracious father. The first is the distant or passive father. This um, father is emotionally distant from us. His, um, he 
expresses his emotions in a minimal way. He assumes that we know he loves us, but he rarely speaks of it. However, we don't know he sees or feels our pain or joy. When something wonderful or tragic happens, the passive father just nods his head. We begin to believe that God is like that as well. He does not feel our pain. He does not share our joy. He has little affection to express to us. And the affection that we desire and need has never been found in this type of father. Then there's the authoritarian father. And this father intervenes to stop what you are doing. He hands out a list of do's and don'ts to us. He interrupts um, you and says no to the things that are important to you. Your heart is often quenched by this. This kind of father does not honor your individuality. He is not interested in your desires or your goals, only his own. He wants no partnership or deep intimacy with you, but only to be obeyed for his every command to be adhered to. Then there is the abusive father. And these are those that inflict purposeful pain on their children, and they do so deliberately, hurting them emotionally, mentally, and physically. There's no greater torment in life than the torment that has been inflicted by the hands of an abusive father. It not only destroys the natural emotions, but deeply, deeply affects the spiritual emotions of children. Then there's the absent father. And this type of father is one who is totally absent. Maybe he's the father you never knew or perhaps even dying before you were born. He's not like the passive father who is there yet does not communicate. No, he's never there. Therefore, he never intervenes to help you in times of trouble. You feel totally abandoned and neglected by um, this father, and it hinders your ability to ever trust another. Then there is the accusing father, which is probably the most common example. This father proclaims to love you with his whole heart, but he judges you continually at every failure. In his mind, he's trying to motivate you to do right. He thinks if he points out your failures, you will be motivated to try harder next time. He rarely shows you affection or affirms you. If you grew up with this type of father, you will have great difficulty understanding the love of your heavenly father because you will think God is always accusing you. And I, as I was reading this list and thinking about the three children that God has given me and how they are so different from each other, it was scary to think about these different things and how, at times, um, some of them could maybe be true. And here's what we know. Talking about the fatherhood of God can be challenging to some of us because there are bad fathers, abusive fathers, absent fathers, accusing fathers, unkind and even unknown fathers. The word father does not always conjure up good thoughts. And even the fact that I brought this up there's a temptation that maybe this will be the, what we think about the rest of this service without hearing the good news that is coming. And here's the good news. Here is the um, but here. We must let Scripture reinterpret our experiences rather than letting our experiences interpret Scripture. Amen. What I mean by that is this. We all have past experiences with our fathers, but those experiences do not affect the way our Heavenly Father responds to us, His children. 
God wants to be known as Father. He wants to remind us that we are His precious children, that He loves us perfectly, that He knows what is best for us, that He can do all things. Therefore, He is a Father like or unlike any other. His love for us transcends what even the most loving parent can give to us. I think to put it like this, here's the best way to put it. We must never allow a distorted copy of fatherhood to destroy our confidence in the original. And God is the original. He is the original father. May we not let a distorted copy ever destroy our confidence in the one who is the original. So this morning the prayer is this, that we would allow God and his word to describe his love for us and the potential of his relationship with each of us this morning. And it's, it's all wrapped up in two words. Jesus used these two words and so can we. And those two words are this, our Father. Our Father. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word this morning. We're going to read Matthew 6, verses 7 through 9. We're going to jump into the, the Lord's prayer as we know it, or the disciples' prayer, or the model prayer. We're not going to go too far into it. But it says this in verse 7, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. And we do so saying those words, Father, you're our Father. And you are not an earthly Father, an imperfect Father. Lord, as great as or fathers that maybe we have had, Lord, we know that there were always and still shortcomings there, and there are none in you. Today we pray that you would allow us to see the beauty of you as the original Father, the one who loves us and cares for us and is able to meet our every need. Father, may nothing hinder us from seeing the beauty of the original today. Speak to us by your word, through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. So before we dive in this morning to two beautiful truths that leap off the page of these four words, which is our Father in heaven, I, I want us to, first of all, flesh out really two important truths that we kind of need to, to lay before we, we go any further. And the first truth is this, and please hear this, not everyone is a child of God. We hear that often. I hear people all the time say this, everybody's a child of God. Everybody's a child of God. God, because not everyone's a child of God, not everyone can approach God as Father. Now, please understand, everyone is a creation of God. So everyone has been created in the image of God. God is the creator of all. But in a saving way, in a redemptive way, God is not the Father of all. The only people who are able to call God Father are those who have been, hear this, born again. Those who have been born again, those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, who have been indwelt by the Spirit of, um, 
of Christ, the Holy Spirit. Understand this, we are not born into the family of God. We are born again into the family of God. And we become sons and daughters of God. So not everyone is a child of God, but I pray that those of us in this room today that we are. Or if you're not, that you will be. And then the second truth is this. When Jesus used these two words, our Father, when he used those words, he was approaching a holy ground that would have completely shocked his listeners. And what I mean by that is this. In the Old Testament, God was referred to in many different ways, but rarely was God referred to as Father. Apart from a few different texts in the Old Testament where God is compared to an earthly father, the word for God is only used 15 times in the Old Testament. When we get to the Gospels, of the first four books of the New Testament, Jesus refers to God as Father 165 times alone just himself. So this was a radical departure from tradition. In fact, every recorded prayer that Jesus prays, except for one, he called God Father. The only prayer that he prayed that he did not call God Father was this one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But 21 out of 22 of Jesus' recorded prayers, he addresses God as his Father. And it was for that reason that Jesus' enemies sought to destroy him. Because he assumed an, an intimate personal relationship with this sovereign God of, of heaven. He dared to speak of God in intimate terms. According to John MacArthur, there were two major philosophies of the day. There were Stoics and Epicureans. And they either saw God as being apathetic towards the needs of man, meaning they saw God as not being able to experience any feelings when it comes to us, or they saw God as living so far away from the affairs of man that God refused to interfere in our affairs and God got so far away that he didn't even care about our affairs. And in the midst of all of these false views concerning God, Jesus simply utters without explanation two words, Our Father. Again, we have a tendency to just miss how revolutionary those two words are. But the most astounding and unique of all Christian revelation is the revelation that God is our good and gracious Father. Other religions paint Him as creator, as the great ruler, as the all-powerful, or as the spirit that animates living beings. Think about this. In Islam, there are 99 names for Allah, but not one of them is Father. 99 names, but not one is Father. Only Christianity presents Him from the very beginning as our Father in heaven. So with these two thoughts being laid, let us stand in awe, or let me rephrase that, let us sit in awe of of this absolute treasure that exists in these four words, our Father in heaven. And let these truths, I pray, hit us in ways that they need to hit us this morning. So two truths that we're going to kind of unpack and go a little deeper into this morning. And let's start with the first. And the first is this. God is our intimate Father. God is our intimate Father. So as we just said, many people think that if God exists, He is simply 
a distant entity in the sky somewhere. He's unreachable. He's unknowable. He's disinterested in our lives. But we know when we read the Bible, that could not be further from what the, the Bible says or further from the truth. God wants to be known. God desires to have a relationship with the people he created. God is not emotionally detached from us. No, he is an intimate father. He is a good father. When we call him our father, we are saying that there is a God who knows us, who sees us, who hears us, who understands and loves and cares for his children. In the words that we just read from Jesus, we've discovered the most important truth of the universe. Our God is father to us. And just think about what that means. There's three things that the intimate father, what that means to us. First of all, our father knows us intimately. And that is such good news at times for us, and then other times it's scary. God knows us. He knows us. Psalm 139 says, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You are acquainted with all of my ways. God knows us. Oh, how he knows us. Pastor David Jeremiah has said, our God knows what we're going through. He knows every minute of our pain and suffering. He not only knows what we feel, he knows why we feel what we feel. He knows how it happened, how long it's going to last, and how intense it is. He knows every emotion associated with it. And when we are going through difficult times, and please hear this, we will go through difficult times. There will be times where all we can say is, Father, you know. Father, you know. But the beautiful news is, brothers and sisters, he knows. He knows. Oh, how he knows. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, your father knows your need before you even ask him. He knows. He is intimately acquainted with each of his children. We can never escape his gaze. We can never escape his concern. Because God is all-knowing, and that's another attribute we're going to look at in a few um, weeks, there is absolutely nothing about our lives that God does not know perfectly. And greater still, the one who knows us intimately loves us extravagantly. And that's our second truth. So not only does our Father know us intimately, second, our Father loves us extravagantly. In 1 John, um, John the Apostle says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And then he says this, and so we are. We're not just called children of God. We are children of God. The Apostle John stands amazed at that reality. He is shouting to us, look, see, behold, don't miss this. Don't miss how great God's love is for us and that he calls us his children. Pastor Tim Keller says it this way. When John, the author, says, see what kind of love the Father has given, he is asking from what planet or from what world does this kind of love come from? It's unlike anything we have ever seen. It's unlike anything we can ever compare. There is nothing in this life that we can compare with the love of our Father. It's not from this World. It's not like any human um, could give it. It's other 
worldly from us. And this is the kind of, of love. Some versions put it this way. That the Father, this is the kind of love that the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. We will never fully experience the fullness or the depth of God's love until we understand the kind of love that God loves us with. A love that makes a way for us to be his children. And as we begin, as we began this morning, if this is not the thought that prompts our or controls our worship or our prayer or our outlook on life, then we probably don't understand Christianity very well. His love is extravagant. And it has been lavishly or excessively or abundantly poured on us. As we said last week, his love is an overflow of that what is existing within the Trinity. And it's being poured upon us. Our Father loves us extravagantly. And then third, our Father attends to us endlessly. He attends to us endlessly. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You, or as a psalmist says, I've been young and I've been old and I have not seen the righteous forsaken. And just think about, just think about our heart's condition outside of Christ. So don't think about somebody else's heart right now. Think about your heart's condition outside of Christ when you didn't know Jesus. Outside of Christ, our hearts know extreme loneliness Our hearts know extreme bitterness. Our hearts know the loss of self-worth. Our hearts know unworthiness. Our hearts are prone to self-pity. And our hearts need to be attended to. Our hearts need to feel love and hope and security and to be sought after. And the question becomes, where are we going to get all of that from? Is there anyone who knows us for who we are and still loves us um, in spite of it all? Is there anyone who can lift us up and give us value? Is there anyone who can promise to never leave us or forsake us and actually keep their promise? And the answer is, he can. And not only can he, he has made that promise to us. He has promised he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Feel the depth of that this morning. The intimate love and attention and affection of our Heavenly Father. He is our intimate Father and He is the kind of Father that loves to meet the needs of His children. But let me just say this this morning. We are often tempted to not see God as a good and gracious Father. But instead, we are tempted to see God as a rival and one who is withholding good from us. He's withholding fun from us. He's withholding delight from us. He's withholding joy from us. And we are tempted to see him that way. In fact, let me quickly show you there are two places in the life of Christ where Jesus actually was tempted to question the goodness of his father. One at the beginning of his ministry and one at the very end of his mission. And it was a real temptation. So if Jesus experienced this temptation, chances are we will too. So just so we know, if he experienced it, if he walked through it, 
Chances are we will have to walk through it as well. Look at Matthew chapter 4. So just flip back two chapters. Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 3. This is the temptation of Christ, and it says this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. It's probably uh, doesn't quite hit it how hungry he was, an understatement there. But verse 3, and the tempter came and said to him, and hear these words, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And maybe we miss it. But Satan's suggestion might be worded this way. Did God really just say to you at the baptism that you are his beloved son and that he is well pleased with you? Is that what he told you? Well, if you are his son and you are well pleasing to him, then why is he giving you no food? Why would he starve you in the wilderness? I mean, if God is well pleased with you, then why are you in this terrible hunger, in this terrible place? Why should you, the Son of God, be hungry? And so don't miss this. The point of this temptation wasn't just focusing on the fact that Jesus was hungry, although we know He was hungry. It was focusing on, can God be trusted to meet our needs? You trusted him, Jesus, and look at you. You're hungry, and you're in the wilderness, and things aren't looking good for you. And Satan uses the same temptations for us. And then see the same picture. Look at Matthew 27. In Matthew 27, so this is the end of Jesus' mission as he is on the cross. Matthew 27. And when you get there, When the rest of you get there, or when you want me just to continue on? All right, so verses 39 through 40, it says this. So Jesus on the cross and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. And then listen to these words. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And here Satan is using those who pass by to say, if you're God's son, why are you suffering like this? If you're God's son, how could this ever happen to you? And let me just say this, brothers and sisters, there are times where the enemy will tempt us the same exact way. He will say to us, if you are God's child, why are you suffering? If you are God's child, then why do you, why do you lack if, you, if you're God's child, why are you hurting so much? Doesn't God care? Satan will tell us that. Doesn't God care for you? Doesn't God know what's going on in your life? And if we're not careful, we begin to go, well, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't care for me. Maybe he doesn't know what I'm going through. And maybe he is far off. And maybe he doesn't care about anything going on in my life. And we got to be careful, brothers and sisters, when we begin to agree with the voice of the enemy. The one who only speaks lies, we got to be careful when we start agreeing with him. Instead, we've got to be quick to come back to see what kind of love the Father has poured upon us. Or God has proven or demonstrated his love for us. 
And while we were yet in our sins, Christ died for us. Don't allow yourself to be tempted to believe that God is something other than what he's not. Not good. No, he is good. Amen. He is good. In fact, Psalm 147, or excuse me, Psalm 145, verse 9 says, God is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. He's good to all. Our God is an intimate father. He's an intimate father to us. Which leads us to the second truth. God is not only our intimate father, God is our heavenly father. Just think about those four words. Our father in heaven. Those last two words are normally like the throwaway phrase, right? In heaven, we don't think about um, that too much. Yet it refers to heaven as the center of the universe and the seat of all authority and all power, all dominion and all greatness. While the term father refers to the intimate nature of God, that he is intimately near in heaven reminds us of his power and the fact that he is not one of us. It reminds us that he is God. Or think of it like this. Many of the ancient Jews had such lofty views of God that they could not even get in their minds what it would look like to have an intimate relationship with God. In their minds, this God was too holy, he was too high and exalted for us to ever enter into his presence. Unfortunately, think about it in our terms. We often make God so personal and so like us that we can't even think of God being holy or other than us or existing in heaven and being in charge of it all. We are so good at dumbing down God that he no longer becomes a God that people are interested in. As I've said before, let me say it over and over and over again. We will not be a church that minimizes God in order to draw people in. We are going to magnify this God. And we believe that as we do so, he will draw people to himself. This is the beauty of who he is. And we want to keep pressing in um, in that way. So we need to be reminded that when we pray from earth, we're praying from a position of, of weakness and submission. And we pray to a father in heaven who has all authority and all power. It's precisely because God is in heaven that he has power to help us. And just look at this. First of all, the fact that he's in heaven means he is in a place of transcendence. He is in a place over us. Psalm 97, 9 says, For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted. Or Isaiah 55, 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Being transcendent means that God is completely exalted over us in position, in person, in thought, in every way. And let me just say something, and please follow me here. God is both unknown and God is unknowable. So hear that, and then I'm going to explain it. God is unknown and God is unknowable, meaning that if God does not reveal himself to us, we will never know him. We don't, you don't know God because you have done all the work and you somehow have found out the missing code, and therefore you are the amazing um, 
mind and, and um, elite of all the elites. No, the only way you know God is because God has revealed himself to you. And that's the only way we will ever know God is if he reveals himself to us. Yet, here's the good news. By grace, he has revealed himself to us. The knowable, the, or excuse me, the unknowable one seeks to be known. He wants us to know him. And let me just put it a step further. You can know him. If you don't know him any more than you did 20 years ago, it's not his fault. It's the fact that you're lazy. I mean, that's the reality of it. If you don't know him anymore, if you're still at 60 years old saying, God is good, God is great, let him think of our food, he wants you to go further than that. I mean, it's good that you know him in that way, but God wants you to know him more. Let's understand that. He graciously makes himself known to us. And although we'll never get to the bottom of God, we can know him truly. We can know him personally. We can know him sufficiently. We can know him. Don't miss that. Although he's in a place of transcendence, he wants to be known. And then secondly, because he's in heaven, he is in a place of abundance. He is in a place of abundance. Now, we're, we're told in Matthew 6, verse 1, that he is our father in heaven. And then again in verse 9, he's our father in heaven. So what does that mean? It means that our Father in heaven is not drawing his resources from the earth. Although the earth, everything on the earth is his. But he's drawing all of his resources from heaven. And here's what I know. There's no lack there. There's no lack in heaven. No limits in resources there. In Ephesians 1 verse 3 it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has, get this, blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Our Father, our Heavenly Father is in a place of abundance. And He continually, hear this, He continually pours out blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing upon us. Whether you know it or not, you have been blessed by God. You have been blessed by him. Think about this. You have Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit. You have access to God. You have the gospel. You have the word of God. Or maybe you're not a Christian, but guess what? You have access. And today you have an opportunity. You're blessed in that. We are a blessed people. Let me just say this, for the believer, for the child of God, we have not been left as orphans. And Jesus tells us we'll never again be treated as an orphan. For we have a heavenly Father who is good to us, who is gracious to us, who is giving to us, and we have a heavenly Father, get this, who is ours. Amen. He is ours, and we are His. Therefore, let us stand in awe of who he is. He is our father in heaven. And then let us stand in awe of who we are. We are his children. We are his children. He knows us. And even though he knows us and that can be scary, he loves us. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I say, God, you know me. God, you know me. God, you know me. Oh, God, you, you, know, you know me. 
you, you, you know me, um, you, you know me, ouch, you know me. But he knows us, and yet he never stops loving us. So therefore, let us eagerly come as children to our beloved Father. And let me tell you this, he will never, ever, ever turn us away. He'll never turn us away. Let me end with the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says this, Christ taught us to pray our Father. This eternal, everlasting God has become our Father, and the moment we realize that, everything tends to change. He is our Father, and He is always caring for us. He loves us with an everlasting love. He so loved us that He sent His only begotten Son into the world and to the cross to die for our sins. That is our relationship to God. And the moment we realize it, it transforms everything. And it doesn't just transform it for just a moment. It transforms our lives forever. Meaning that when you... Um, came to Christ and you were saved, God didn't just become your father and then you just went about your way. No, he is still your father. And he is still loving and caring and desires a relationship with you. Oh, that we can know him and that we can make him known. I'm going to go ahead and ask everyone to stand and we're going to call the musicians forward as we enter into a time of not just invitation but consecration where we say whatever God is speaking to your heart, whatever he's telling you to do, that you would do it. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom to do what God has called us to do. So let's pray together. Father, Father, Father God, help us never to get tired of saying that word. That we would continually, as John wanted us to, to behold what kind of love you've loved us with. That we can be called Children of God. And not just call that, but your word says we are your children. Father, we thank you for loving us in spite of ourselves. We thank you for the way that you forgive and cleanse. And Lord, you work, God, according to your word, you work all things together for good. Even our failures even, God, the times that we fail and we falter, God, you still work those together for our good and for your glory. God, help us to see you today for who you are. And Lord, again, God, help us never to let a, a difficult copy Shake our confidence in the original that you are our Father in heaven and you are a good, good Father to us. Lord, just speak that, we pray, over and over again into our hearts and lives until we believe it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.